You're listening to The Nancy Gaines Show. The goal of this podcast is to help business owners be successful and gain the advantage. Nancy has helped some of today's top Fortune 500 companies across a wide spectrum of industries work through their toughest challenges. She can help you too. So if you can't find the solutions you need, there are no more books to read or workshops to attend. The Nancy Gaines Show can be the difference between your success and failure. And now your host, Nancy Gaines. Hi, this is Nancy Gaines, and welcome to the Nancy Gaines Show, where we provide actionable ideas for entrepreneurs to grow their business and be even more productive. The focus of today's podcast is all about thriving in the digital age. And I've got a very special guest, Michael Gale. Let me tell you all about Michael. He is the co-author of the Wall Street Journal and Amazon best-selling book, The Digital Helox, Transforming Your Organization's DNA to Thrive in the Digital Age. He founded a highly successful company, Strategic Oxygen, in 2001, which was one of the technology industry's primary data tool set for marketers. The company helped 20 brands model over $4 billion, that's with a B, $4 billion in marketing and sales investments. He's also he's got experience in digital consulting. He was a CWO. That's Chief Web Officer, a General Manager, VP of Research, and so much more. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for sharing part of your day. What else do you want to add to that introduction? Nothing. That was actually uh, wonderful. So let's have some fun, and hopefully the learnings from this four-year project can be surmised in a practical 15, 20-minute discussion for your uh, listeners. That is awesome. So I bet the listeners are thinking, where is your accent from? Do you want to share where you came from? Yes, it's English. Uh, Born in the UK and actually immigrated here in 1993 to Austin, which has unfortunately been in the news a lot recently, Uh, but actually to help take a data company uh, to the point where it could go public, which it did in 1998. So I've been very lucky to spend most of my working career in the States, in tech, in a number of really hot cities like Austin and uh, obviously Seattle. Do you, go to, do you ever go to South by Southwest? Yes, I laugh because uh, many decades ago, a, a lady I was dating, her sister actually was part of the original South by Southwest when it was just a music festival. And I remember going there in the early days. It's a very different event now. It's sort of become the modern version of Comdex, I think, in the 21st century. I have not gone, but it is on my bucket list. So if I go down there, I'll let you know so I can have a cup of coffee. Oh, we'll make sure you get looked after and turn around. It's a really interesting way of seeing an incubator for the future world, good and bad. I think everybody should, if they're really investing in uh, a digital service, a digital technology, a way of thinking of the future, spending three or four days there could really, I think, open one's mind to what's possible. That's cool. Well, I will definitely check that out. So let's jump in and have some fun, as you said in the uh, pre-talk before we got on here. I loved your press kit, very well written, so that everybody's on the same page. Can you define what digitization means, digital transformation, digital innovation? What does all that mean? Yeah, I'll give you an emotional response, and then we'll maybe go backwards, because I think you can get really caught in language here. Uh, The world is transforming. Uh, We used to use technology to do things. Uh, to make it easier, quicker, better. Now that technology or new digital technologies like social and data are becoming the actual core of how a business is run. So we no longer think about making stuff and putting it in a physical store. We often think about how can we compress the supply chain 
and not worry about a retail store, get it to you directly. And that's not just a retail discussion. So we should think about digitization as the, as the shift from a discussion about business practices to a really significant seismic shift to how do we use digital technologies to fundamentally change the way we do business and the way we live as consumers or citizens. I like that. You know, I was just talking to my husband. Toys R Us is closing, which has been around since I was a kid. It was just <laughs> well, we've all been kids with Toys R Us. <laughs> yeah, we don't have kids, so we don't go there. But I yeah. said, my first. Oh, come on. Yes, you do own up. <laughs> no, no kids, no pets. Very simple out here. But I said, I'm not surprised at all. Like, Amazon is taking over. Would this be a good example? Did Amazon make things more digital? Well, it actually, there's three things. And I actually, I don't believe that Amazon is the culprit of, of uh, the death of KB Toys and um, Toys R Us. I think three big drivers happened. I think, and they're important because they indicate, I think, where the world is going. So I think item number one is Walmart and Target have become extraordinarily competent at displaying and selling toys in the store and online, much more so than I think you could blame Amazon for doing. I think secondly, and this is a really important thing for anybody who's opening up a small retail store or anything with a customer-facing physical environment, the experience inside Toys R Us became disgusting. It became like a warehouse, dirty. Uh, and as toys got more complicated because of digital technology, the inability to have enough or enough well-educated employees that could talk people through it meant it was a super unpleasant experience. I think you've got to recognize that retail is increasingly becoming an experience industry, not just a convenient point for purchasing. So to that extent, yes, Amazon is a lot better, but toys need to be touched and felt and understood. And Walmart and Target did that very well. And really, Toys R Us, like KB Toys, was just very badly managed. You know, people buy more toys than they've ever bought before. They're spending more money on the toys they spend. But they expect more from the shopping experience than I think retailers have traditionally given them. That's a great answer. I didn't even think of it from that point of view, but very, very cool. Why do you think companies need digit? That's a hard word for me to say. (laughs) (laughs) Why do companies need digitization? Because you're passionate about this, obviously. Well, I think I'll give you a, a very scary example. IDC, which is a big sort of technology analyst company, one of the largest ones, estimated that about... $1.7 trillion, which for constructive size is about the size of the Italian economy, about the seventh, I think, or tenth largest economy in the world, was invested in technologies and ideas that could help businesses invent quicker, supply faster, reduce costs, and deliver basically exactly what customers want. So instead of having choice A or B, customers could have A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. So what digital technologies allow us to do, social uh, AI automation, is they allow you to truly deliver a customer experience that's massively customized, very personal, but without all the historical undercurrents of costs and other elements involved in expensive customization. So for example, you know, you could now order exactly what you want from Amazon exactly when you need it, and it may actually turn up within hours or minutes. And I think to some extent that's the experience we all want to have in everything we do, whether or not we're working with government or we're working with a really small business or a medium or large one. And that capacity to deliver almost instant satisfaction with an experience is really where businesses are going to be going over the next 100 years. The problem we've got 
and the book told us this empirically, only one in six organizations are getting this right. And that's a terrible waste. So if you think about that $1.7 trillion, it's probably true that $1.4 trillion was sort of wasted last year. And that would be like giving every person on the planet $290 in cash. That's how much money there was wasted because people aren't getting it right. And they're spending a lot of money to do small incremental things. They're not taking the sort of giant leaps that the big digital brands have taken in the way they think about business. So it's important because if we don't get it right as traditional physical enterprises, we will become as marginal in the new world as horses and carriages and sailing ships were at the start of the 20th century. Wow. you got some really good facts. Let me ask you, when you were doing your book interviews, you got some access to some pretty high-profile people. Was that mm-hmm. really cool? It was actually better than cool. In fact, we, I think it took us about eight, six months just to breathe and let it happen. We're like, okay, this is really cool. Because everybody really cares about it. This isn't just about business. It's not just about big companies trying to survive. It's really about a lifestyle, about you know, are we going to make ourselves a digitally you know, effective economy, a country, a citizenship, a government. And people really care about this because if, if we don't manage it properly, you know, think about it this way. You know, it used to be if you were on the Fortune list or the Forbes, you know, the big companies list, you might be on that list for 30 years, maybe 40 or 50 years. The, the current estimate is you may only be on the Fortune 50 or 100 list now for 15 years because things are changing really fast. And I think the responsibility when things change is to help manage it properly. Otherwise, we've become a victim of, you know, all the irrational things that may not actually benefit us as business owners or as organizations or citizens going forward. And everybody had that same passion. They wanted to make a better experience for employees. They want to make a better experience for customers. They want to redefine what their organization, their company looks like 5, 10, you know, 15 years from now. Which business leader really made an impact on you where you walked away and said, Wow, that was really insightful. It's the ultimate question. It's like saying, what's your favorite Godfather movie? Um, you can, you can I, pick two. You can pick two. I can pick two. I think there are two individuals that really, I think, shined, partly because of their organizations. Uh, one is Chris Cox at USAA. You know, USA is a remarkable insurance company and a highly competitive business with a very specific focus and a very unique culture. And it's obviously a private firm and that services, insurance, and financial and banking needs for anybody who's been on active duty for this country at any point, even the you know, partners or children or grandchildren officer, has a huge catchment. They really understand the need to, to truly comprehend what that experience needs to be for citizens that live digital in their own lives personally. What, what would make that experience extraordinary in a digital world? I think Chris in particular really emphasized to us the uniqueness of, you know, understanding themes and streams of listening, having executives that truly wanted to explore this future, really understanding that digital success is about living in these tiny moments and connecting them together and the other variables. I think Chris was probably the most uh, precise and the most revealing in his language about where this stuff would go. I think the other guy actually is a research fellow at MIT Michael Schrock, who is, I think, one of the most remarkable visionaries. He's currently actually in London, I think, at Imperial College as a, as a guest. But his vision of what the future could look like and his clarity and language about 
what it's going to take to get there was extraordinarily valuable. And I didn't think enough people get to see or read his work because he understands that intersection between innovation, you know, human best practices, and the sort of rigors of what it takes to transform an organization. So Chris Cox at USAA, I think Michael Schrag, who's a, a MIT research fellow. That is so cool. So in your research, what were some of the most common mistakes you saw companies make while trying to keep up with the digital age? So I'll start back to front in an odd way. Um, I think the first thing is that everybody's doing this. Honestly, even small and large um, organizations are doing it. So it's not just the sort of predominant thesis of a huge Fortune 1000 company. Everybody's trying to transform to keep up with the startups. I think what was interesting to us is that we found that one in six really get it right, which I'll explain. But there were another 32% of organizations, they looked very similar to that 16%. They're almost doppelgangers. But they were getting literally no economic return from their activities because they were missing two or three key components sort of that defined everything. So I think the first thing we learned was is you've got to get this 100% right. There is no 50, 60, 80, 90% right because a few DNA sequencing pieces you miss means you completely miss the mark. I think the second thing we know, and we've actually just finished some research yesterday, which is really interesting, is a, a refresh, is that there are about 45% of organizations that say the number one challenge that they face is they haven't thought about the challenges that they face. In other words, they blissfully go through experimentation spending money, but they don't sit and think about what are the barriers for them being successful. There's almost this sort of uh, chemical addiction to doing it, but there's not necessarily the capacity to sit back and go, hold it. What do we have to be aware of in our organization that can hold it back? I think the third biggest challenge we found is that you can't do this in silos. You can't experiment here, do it somewhere else. This is about changing the way your organization works. So even if you only employ 10 people or 20 people, you can't digitally transform, transform one function and not digitally transform all the other functions in your organization. It doesn't matter how big or small you are, that sense of isolated sort of experimentation won't get you to the end game very quickly. Wow. So this is really good high level. Is there a way we can take it down to make it actionable? that people can hear something today and do it this week based on your wisdom? Uh, yeah, let me give you three simple ways of doing that. I think it would be useful. So let's imagine you're looking at your own organization, your successful consulting firm or you're running a retail business. You've got to say to yourself, what are the drivers that are basically affecting my desire to do this? You know, am I selling to a certain demographic that are that is incredibly digital by nature? And should I therefore be recognizing that if I'm more and more dependent on that target group, I'm going to have to be far smarter about how I sell to them. Second thing you've got to say is, look, am I going to be competing against companies that could literally be digital from the very day they start? So I've I got to digitally convert because if I don't digitally convert, it's going to be really difficult for me to catch up. You know, you saw that digital startup model. The third, the third item you might go is, is there a massive supply, a compression of supply and demand in my industry? So if I used to be a retail firm, and I always had something in stock, but the reality was it may take me two or three weeks to restock something if a customer comes in. People won't deal with that anymore. The compression of supply and demand to almost being instant is a really big deal. Uh, third big item, do I used to charge too much for what I used to sell? 
because the reality is customers can instantly price shop you. They can instantly Yelp shop you now. So you've got to recognize that that completely level playing field, even employees can by going on to Indeed or Glassdoor. You've got to be transparent. You've got to recognize how much that's hurting or helping you. There's no doubt uh, that you've got to recognize that change is constant. So if you've rebuilt yourself for the last six months, be prepared to rebuild yourself for the next six months. And I think the old precept that, yeah, I can be really innovative, but it's going to be expensive, or I can be super cost-efficient but not innovative, has all disappeared. You can be all of those things right now. And I think those driver pieces are important because it lets you sit back and say, where should I invest? Where should I really be putting my money if I'm affected by one, two, three, four, five, six, or even seven of those drivers. That's so here are the challenges that we found empirically, and we measured this with a really complex model we started to build with the Economist Intelligence Unit. And these, these challenges are pretty simple. You can't just mandate change. You've got to roll your sleeves up. Organizations where executives mandated but didn't get involved were miserably unsuccessful. You've also got to set the right expectation chasm. This ability to say, hey, look, we're going to be a radically different company in six months is BS, to put it politely. When we started the work four years ago, people said to us, we're going to be fully transformed in three years. Literally, as I said, we looked at the research again yesterday. Those same types of organizations are now saying, well, maybe we'll be one-third converted in three years from now. So people have really set crazy expectations here in terms of speed that in hindsight they're realizing it's a lot tougher than they thought it was. You've got to measure success differently. It's not just... The old way used to measure it, change your metrics. You also can't actually bring in someone to do this for you. Success comes from the inside. It doesn't come from the outside. You've got to actually do it yourself. You can get some advice. It requires a group of people to do it, sort of a village. It's not a one-size strategy fits all. It's not just customer focus. Some small organizations do an amazing job at transforming first from how their employees and partners work together and then stretch it out. So if you think about the seven drivers, the seven challenges, you can pick them up from our website. You're on a good path if you can answer those sort of 14 questions on your own on a napkin or a little notepad this evening. Do you want to go ahead and give that website so people could check it out? Yeah, if you come to ink.digital uh, and actually drop us Chris or I an email, I'm more than happy to send you, uh, anybody that comes to us, an edited version of those challenges and drivers. Just say, hey, listen to this on the show. Could you send us an edited document? I'm very happy to help people out with that. Awesome. Why don't you give it one more time? Yes, yeah, so send an email. So the site is ink.digital. But if you send an email to michael at ink.digital or chris at ink.digital, mention the show, and we'll happily send you those two graphics that show you how to do it. Awesome. That's really generous. So many of our listeners are authors or soon to be authors. It sounds like your book was in the works for about four years. Is that right? Uh, we started it as a research project because it was interesting for a business. And actually, we sat down one day and went, there's something deeper and bigger than this. We actually printed off a digital DNA chart that was about 35 feet long. It was enormous. We looked at hundreds and hundreds of variables. And I was looking at this going, there's a pattern in this madness. There's something about when people that are successful do more or do less or do different that really said, we need to share this with as many people as possible because the success rate is so low. So it just triggered the idea, even in a digital age, <laughs> that a book is a good idea. <laughs> well, what techniques did you use to actually hit Wall Street Journal bestseller? That is, you should be really proud of that. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's a tough process. So there, there are four things we did. Uh, I think the first is you've got to spend, I think, significant time pre-building 
your ideas prior to a launch. I'm not a big believer in you launch it, you run away. The launch is maybe 1% of the effort you put into the book. I think we spent a lot of time on distributing content, ideas, infographics, connecting very content-wise with people on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn, I think, offers an incredible opportunity for authors or anybody in the IP business to share ideas with people that are looking to get fractions of ideas that can help them in their big picture. So LinkedIn is a great way of doing it. I think secondly is find a subject where you can genuinely be unique in that if you get the reviews you know, we were lucky enough to get, they are crisp, they are genuine, they've picked up on the essence of what you've got. So I think the idea itself has to feel crisp and clean. So we were very careful looking around other books. This is also the number one selling book on the subject, and it's a huge you know, subject without much spend. So that uniqueness, uh, the ability to really spend time and money investing in giving away content before the book is important, and be, be part of active debate, debates. Humans are amazing. We love discussing and debating stuff. Go and give the stuff away as much as you can, and that's really what seemed to drive the sales was that sense of pre-work that we'd done to share the ideas, be involved in debates, and make sure that we, we, we went for a space that was uh, confusing, uh, not particularly well understood, but needed help and a framework or an idea to make it better. That's awesome. Do you want to give a couple takeaways from that book since I didn't even ask you questions around that? No, I'd, I'd say this. It's a, the investment number in, in this category is enormous. It doesn't just affect large businesses. Every organization will have to digitally transform as the world changes. There are three steps to do it. Understand the drivers that get you there. Be aware of the challenges that you actually face. And if you actually go to LinkedIn, we've got the inside front cover of the book, which has the seven components of the digital helix available for download. So if you don't even want to buy the book, it'll actually show you what it takes to be a successful executive or how you should think about data or how you should think about customers or marketing or selling or cultural responsibility or strategy. Those seven components are the basis of the book that we found to exist in the one in six, but each of those components didn't fully exist in the remaining five and six. That's the essence of the book. Very cool. Two giveaways for the listeners. Are you ready for the fun question I ask everyone on this show? You, you can ask anything you want. I'm not, I cannot guarantee the answer will be fun, but go ahead. You'll know this answer for sure. If you had one more hour in your day, 25 hours every day, how would you spend your extra hour? I actually think reading more. I think that there is an amazing wealth of uh, didactic information in the world that we never have enough time to read and contemplate. That's a great answer, and actually that's one of the top two answers I hear. Good. <laughs> We're either all foolish or at least curious. <laughs> top three, people say they either want to spend more time with family and friends, do more self-care like exercise or get outside, and then finally read. So you definitely have the, the perfect answer. Well, the perfect one may be. I, I mean, my wife and I love sitting reading together, so the extra hour to read and together kills two of those answers perfectly. A bonus. <laughs> that's very productive of you, Michael. <laughs> love that. Is there anything else that you want to add that I didn't think to cover? No, maybe one other comment. Transformation has no destination, but if you do not go on this journey, you will not get to have a future. Uh, this is a, a, a metaphor we give in the book is when steam engines and steamships were invented, many companies were sailing ships. 
try to put steam engines into the sailing ships. It works for a while, but it didn't work for very long. So you have to recognize the business you have now may be very different than the business you need to engineer towards in one, two, three, four years' time. We're, not, we're living in an age of constant change, and therefore that has to be part of how an executive thinks about their organization, small, intermediate, or enormous. I like that. Yeah, we're always changing, and the speed of change is getting faster and faster. It's sometimes hard to keep up, so I like Oh, I think it's impossible to keep up, but if you don't start and you don't do it, you'll be completely drowned by it. Well, now I feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Funny comment. (laughs) At least it's not impossible. Michael, thanks so much for taking time. No, my pleasure. Well, thanks for having me on. So, so fun. Lots of great ideas. Listeners, I just added some rapid results days on my calendar for Q2. This is where you and I work together to accelerate your business in just one day. Go to nancygaines.com slash rapid results to learn more. If you love this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so other people can find us. And until next time, go out and gain the advantage. You've been listening to The Nancy Gaines Show, where you can gain the advantage. To schedule a VIP strategy day or speed consulting session with Nancy, connect with her on her website, nancygaines.com. That's nancy, G-A-I-N-E-S, dot com. On Twitter, Nancy L. Gaines. And on LinkedIn, Nancy Gaines. Be sure to check back on Nancy's website for new episodes. Until next time, you've been listening to The Nancy Gaines Show. Go out and gain the advantage.